0: Welcome to worship at fusion this morning we're so glad that you're joining us here in person as well as online this morning hear the word of the lord from psalm 121 i lift my eyes to the hills where does my help come from my help comes from the lord the maker of heaven and earth amen we invite you to stand and worship with us
1: Good morning, everybody. We've got a special treat for you today. We've got some professions of faith that we're going to do. It's a beautiful thing. It's something we get to celebrate as a community, something we get to kind of get together and and tell these kids how how proud of them we are. Uh, and We get to experience how they're explaining and showing how much they love God and how they're willing to move forward in their lives living that way. So if we could get Hannah and Emma to come on up here a second. Come on up, ladies. Why don't you guys stand right over here? I got a couple things I'm just going to say. First, I want you guys, don't trip, that's good. Uh, First, I want you guys to know how much of an honor it's been for me to get to know you guys, to see how you've moved forward in your faith lives, to see how you've uh, become leaders, uh, to see how you've learned to follow at different times when that makes more sense. But I'm just very, very proud of you guys. Um, And for those of you that don't know these two ladies yet, they are wonderful, wonderful people who I'm hoping you do get to know very soon. Um, today you guys are going to be professing a faith you already have, okay? Uh, you've already chosen this faith, uh, but you get to tell the rest of the community how much you love God, how much you know He loves you, and how much you're going to try to live out of gratitude uh, in that love as you move forward with your faith lives moving forward, which is pretty cool. Uh, in that profession today, you also become full participating members of our family here, the family we call Heart Awake, which is pretty cool too. Um, We're made a better place today because you guys become full participating members. Um, You guys get to serve us. We get to serve you. It's a beautiful relationship, and this church moving forward is a better place with you guys making this profession today. And not only that, it's just really cool to see how, you know, we've got the the vertical thing with you and God, but we've also got the horizontal thing with you and your friends and family in a nice full room here today to show these ladies support and how proud of you they are. You're making a brave choice today. Um, I get the honor of speaking on Hardwick's behalf today and saying, man, we are so proud of you, right? Um, So let's move forward. I've got four questions for you. At the end of those four questions, uh, you guys together can answer, we do, God helping us. Okay, and I'll I'll let you know when we're through the four because they get a little complex here. But you, you got it. You've already seen these questions before. All right, question one for you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God sent to redeem the world? Do you love and trust him as the one who saves you from your sin? And do you with repentance and joy embrace him as Lord of your life? That's question one. Long. Question two. Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God revealing Christ and his redemption and that the confessions of this church faithfully reflect that revelation? Question three. Do you accept the gracious promises of God sealed to you in your baptism and your baptism, and do you affirm your union with Christ and his church? With your which your baptism signifies. And lastly, question four. Do you promise to do all that you can with the help of the Holy Spirit to strengthen your love and commitment to Christ by sharing faithfully in the life of the church, honoring and submitting to its authority? And do you join with the people of God in doing the work of the Lord everywhere? We do, God helping us. Very good. Congregation, I've got a question for you guys. Could you guys stand up real, real quick? This is an important part of this because as awesome as this moment is, this is not the the end of their faith journey, right? They're moving forward and it's important for us as a community to stand behind them, to support them, to follow their lead sometimes. Because let me tell you, they're both great leaders already. So a question for you guys, and then at the end we'll all answer together. We do God helping us. Do you promise to love, congregation, and encourage and support these sisters by teaching the gospel of God's love? By being an an example of Christian faith and character, and by giving the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service. Congregation, how do you answer? We do. God helping us. All right, you guys can have a seat. Real quick, we got to pray for you guys. Yet, yes. Um, Again, very proud of you guys. This is a big moment. I even tucked my shirt in this morning. Big stuff. So very, very. It's a youth pastor, so you know it's a big step. No, Proud of you guys. This is really cool. Um, let's pray for you a minute and then we'll, we'll let you sit down. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you for a reminder uh, to the congregation of your love and the ways in which our youth are stepping up daily uh, to show their love to you and live out of that gratitude and live in ways that, that sometimes us adults need to even follow behind and let them take the lead for and with. Thank you for Hannah and Emma and what they mean to me personally uh, and the, the relationship I've gotten to know them over the years and how great that's been, um, but also what, uh, what they mean to this church already and what they're going to mean moving forward. Uh, I want to pray a blessing over them of protection, um, of wisdom, um, and just of joy that as they move forward in their faith lives that they can continually feel you and feel your hand in their lives. Lord, thanks again for this moment and thanks for these two wonderful young ladies. Amen. All right, guys, you guys can have a seat. i got two things for you real quick. Emma and Hannah, those are for you guys. How about a round of applause for these two? Thank you, Nate,
2: and congratulations, Hannah and Emma. Beautiful. It's always great to witness that, experience that together, and thanks for sharing your faith in that. Well today we are going to be blessing the children in just a moment but there will be no fourth and fifth grade today but if you are in fourth and fifth grade you're welcome to join the K through three and that's open so let's have all the kids that are leaving come on this way and we're going to bless these kids as they're on their way I think the blessing is up on the screen. We're going to say the Lord be with you, and they're going to share with us and also with you. Beautiful. All right, kids, have a wonderful morning. Let's give them our blessing. The Lord be with you. you. Indeed. Well, have a wonderful time. Blessings. Okay, so let's, uh, let's come to the Lord in prayer, we're going to start the prayer today with a passage in that first chapter of Colossians. Pastor JB has already preached this passage, and we're just going to frame it in a way that it's really acknowledging and, and uh, looking to Jesus and, and just saying together basically a testimony of our faith, and so let's, let's pray together. Jesus, you are the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in you, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through you and for you. You are before all things, and in you, all things hold together. You are the head of the body, the church. You are the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything you might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in you and through you to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And this morning, Lord, we are so grateful that we live in this world and can acknowledge who you are as the king, firstborn, the ruler, the one through whom all this was created. We are grateful because you have opened up our heart and mind to see you. We're grateful today that Hannah and Emma could profess their faith here in front of us all, We're grateful for the children that are heading downstairs where they'll hear the gospel again. And we pray more and more that the testimonies of our children will share with us again and again your call on us, your call on our lives to live fully for you. Lord, our world is upside down in so many ways. This is nothing new, nothing new to you. You've seen that since the moment the moment we turned away. It seems in our generation, our experience of this has made it more and more challenging to have our voice, the voice of our testimony in you acknowledged and you simply say, yes, yes, you will be persecuted, you will be challenged, you will be told to stay quiet, And to put that light, that voice under a bushel. And that's why you are so adamant that we follow you. That we acknowledge your lordship. That we testify to your greatness, your goodness, your sovereignty. And find our hope there. So that we will not be ashamed. So give us, Lord, increasing passion. To live fully for you. To worship openly and fully, to, to say what needs to be said and to do it always with gentleness, love, and grace. Our world is so in need of grace and love and mercy. So help us, Lord, as your community to, to be clear, to be hopeful, optimistic, because, Lord, you have risen and we live in the resurrection. And you have pointed the way to the Father, sovereign Lord, creator of all. So in that, Lord, we pray for our pastors, we pray for leaders on council, we pray for our staff that they may lead and challenge encourage, teach us to be your witnesses in this world. We're so grateful for Pastor J.B., and we pray that as he brings your word today, you will open us up to hear your message, the truth of your love and life, and be with him as he preaches today. We pray, Lord, for our denomination as a whole, of which we are a part, and the synod, which we'll be meeting soon, and and the leaders from around um, this continent who will be coming together to talk about big things. We pray for Pastor Darwin, who will be a delegate there, and Lord, we, we indeed just lift up the needs of this synod before you and some of the very contentious issues that are being discussed there, and we pray for grace and, again, uh, confidence and courage to follow you and to hold true to what your scriptures teach us. We pray for our community here and those struggling with big illnesses, struggling and receiving treatments, looking forward to recovery. Lord, give grace and hope, strength for some of those dark, dark moments in that journey. We pray for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, and uh, Lord, facing moments like this where there's deep sadness and deep joy, and Lord, you've given us the capacity to feel all of that at once, but we do pray for healing and restoration and um, over time, Lord, the resolution of grief. Lead us in that, we pray, and we pray for marriages beginning this year, this summer, we pray for marriages, Lord, that at the moment are going through a real season of beauty and peace and just grace. And we also pray for marriages right now that are struggling, where in many ways that struggle is pretty private. Mm-hmm. And so we pray that there might be strong support and courage to face some real challenging moments. Lord, we don't often talk about that at a wedding, but Every single marriage, Lord, you you just know it because you're there with us, goes through valleys and challenges, and we just pray for those right now who are struggling. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful to be called your children, and that uh, in this moment, we get to hear from you. So uh, bless us today. We pray this in your name. Amen.
3: Amen. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you, Nate. It is, uh, if we haven't met, I'm Pastor JB. And I would love that opportunity to meet. I was going to say, it's good to be here. Thank you, Emma and Hannah, uh, for making, uh, what a beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning to hear our young people stand up before us and say, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart and soul. That is a a true gift. Also, Nate uh, has me a little self-conscious. I almost, in my seat, tucked my shirt in uh, because my shirt's not tucked in. Um, call myself a recovering youth pastor. So I don't know, whatever that means. But uh, it is good to be back. Um, for these, A couple weeks ago, I had the privilege and joy to be part of the watershed community. We'd had a little shuffle because of some illness, and that was a joy and a privilege. Last week, Pastor Daryl was here, a friend of mine from seminary who brought God's Word in a beautiful way. We were here, uh, but it's just good to be back in this capacity and uh, with you. I'm, I'm humbled uh, to be uh, To have this call in my life, and I missed y'all. Just a quick couple of things uh, on the screen. Um, We have a a number that you can text to connect, to pray, to give. Um, And so, you know, one of the things I want to just draw attention to is as we continue to come back from COVID and and, and trying to gain some momentum and learning how to connect with one another, if we don't have any of your information, if you're a visitor, we'd love that information to send you some emails of things that are happening. Promise we won't inundate you with with too much information or too many emails, but that's one way. If you prefer writing down information, I will get a piece of paper and I will let you write it down as well if you prefer that. Uh, Also, the other thing, um, as we approach the summer and then get back with fall programming, uh, one of the things that we'd really love to do is to kind of beef up our volunteer pool uh, for children's ministries but for other things. And I think today's a perfect reason uh, to, to emphasize that because as Hannah and Emma made profession of faith, there were all these people that were part of their journey along the way. And to be part of uh, our children's ministries, whether that's nursery or Sunday school, you get to be part of young people's journeys and part of their story so that when they stand up before us and say, I love Jesus, uh, what, a, what a gift to be part of that journey. Can I get an amen to that? And I just want to say, any of the barriers or things that maybe you're thinking that that prevent you from serving, throw those away. Unless you, like, honestly don't like children, don't serve. Like, if you don't like children, don't serve. But if you have a, a spot in your heart for kids, like, you can serve no matter your age. If you're in high school, we'd love for you to be part of that. If you're retired, what I've heard is being a grandpa and grandma is way better than being a parent. That's the rumor. So think about this. You can be a grandpa or grandma to our little ones on Sundays. Okay, I've given my plug for children's ministry. Did you hear it? All right. I'm giving thumbs up. No one gave me a thumbs up back, but I'll just take it as you did that in spirit. Okay, this morning we jump back into our Colossians series. Two weeks ago, Pastor Bill was here. He talked about maturity. All right, it comes from the Greek word teleos or telos, which means end. What is the end goal? What is God creating us and maturing us to become? One of the things Bill talked about was agency. Do you remember this? And so agencies, sometimes we're like, is it God working or is it humans working? And, and he kind of, you know, it's not an either or. God, it's God's work developing maturity, but we participate and cooperate with that work. And then last week, Pastor Daryl was here and he talked about some of the reasons why maturity is important. So that we don't, be, we don't get deceived by fine-sounding arguments, as Paul writes in Colossians. He covered some of those false or incomplete uh, beliefs from then and today. Now this morning, what I want to do is dig a little deeper into this word maturity. More specifically, what does maturity look like? What, what does it look like to become mature in Jesus Christ? Uh, other words, Christian formation, Christian character, uh, discipleship would be other ways we talk about this. The question that we're wrestling with is, who are we becoming in Jesus? Christ Jesus, or as our title is, Becoming New. Uh, To help us unpack that, discover that, we're going to be reading Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. If you're willing and if you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we honor God, as he speaks to us. Uh, You can stand physically or stand in spirit as well. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for words penned 2,000 years ago. Lord, continue to, to speak life and truth, even in our context today. Spirit, we ask and we trust that you will be here and that you will open our hearts to receive from you what it is we need to hear. We entrust this to you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It is, it is May, and uh, here in Holland, Michigan, May means tulip time, yeah, Hallelujah for tulip time being over. I don't know. Do we do that? I don't know. There's, there's some beautiful things about that, but uh, the tulips are, are beautiful. The other thing about May is it's graduation season. I see we got some students here. It is graduation season for eighth graders, for high schoolers, for uh, college students. And uh, as I understand it, this coming week, so in the days ahead, is, is graduation, the graduation ceremonies. That's right, right? For, for the different schools in our area. It's graduation this coming week. And, uh, and, and before I say anything else, what I just want to say our, to our graduating seniors, but all of our students really, is, uh, is, is as Nate uh, affirmed, we, we love you. We're proud of you. And what I would just want to say is you always have a place here. Uh, may you always know that, that Heart Awake, that fusion, that this church is your church home. And all of God's people say, amen. Hear that, not just from me, but from this community. But as I was thinking about graduation, it's also graduation party season. How many of you have been to a graduation party or maybe have been invited? How many of you have been invited to a graduation party? Yeah, there's open houses coming. And with graduation open houses, we were at one last night, with graduation parties uh, comes this inevitable question. There's a couple different variations of this question. You see it on the screen. What are you doing after graduation? How many of you have ever heard that question before? Yeah. What are you doing after graduation? What's next? What's your plan this summer? What's your plan this fall? Are you going to the workforce? Are you going to school? And if you're going to school, what's your major? What's your career? What's the next 20 years of your life mapped out for me? Tell me, right? For our seniors, uh, you've been asked this question probably 6,000 times already, and there's nothing wrong with that question, even though you might be a little tired of hearing that question. It's a good question. In fact, it's a very sensible question for seniors who are graduating and are entering the season of transition. Now, here's a little word to our, to our seniors. Um, maybe next time you get asked that question, you can kind of mess with people, Right? So they say, well, what's happening next fall? And you could just, just kind of come up with something totally absurd, right? Like, well, I'm uh, thinking about for the next year backpacking through the state of Wisconsin, you know? And they could be like, what? Or you could say something like really off the wall and you could be like, well, I'm, I'm thinking about um, becoming a pastor, you know? <laughs> Yeah, just kidding. Don't mess with people, don't mess with, I'm just kidding, all right. Anyway, I was thinking about that with, with graduation, but also with, with our young kids. Like, our kids are in that, in that age group where they're getting asked a different question, first grade, second grade, and what's the question we ask little, like little kids? What are you going to be when you grow up, right? And we get these cute responses like astronaut or, or doctor or whatever it is. What are you going to be when you grow up? And what we're really asking our kids when we say that is, what are you going to do When you grow up, what are you going to do for a living? What's your job? What's your career? Uh, And and before we talk just about kids, fast forward to adulthood. There you go. It's on the screen already. What is one of the first questions that you ask kind of in that small talk when you're meeting someone new? One of the first questions we ask, and I just did it recently, what do you do for a living or what do you do for work, right? What do you do now that you're grown up? And then we share those things. Uh, Again, when I'm asked that question, you know, I say, well, I'm a shepherd. Um, or I'm, a, I'm an apprentice of a carpenter. See what I did there? Did you get that? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I just tell them I'm a pastor and see what happens. Okay, yeah, I'm a pastor. Hey. Anyway, so what do you do when you grow up? What do you do for work? And here's, here's the observation with all of these questions. Here's the observation. As a culture, we are obsessed with doing. We are obsessed with what we do. And often, our being, who we are, is defined by our doing, what we do. What are you? I'm a pastor. That's what I do, right? What do you, you, you want to be when you grow up? Really what we're asking is what do you want to do? And, and when we get those things to, tied up together, what happens is our value and our worth and our identity get all entangled with, with what we do and beyond that, what we accomplish in life, right? Here's a radical thought. What would happen... What would happen if, if we as a culture, or maybe a subculture, right, were less concerned with what we did and more concerned with who we were becoming? What kind of person do you want to be when you grow up? What if us as a culture or subculture valued character more than we did Achievement. This morning, as we consider Paul and what Paul says about who we're becoming, mat- maturation or maturity in Christ, for us in the church, as, as Christians, this all begins with identity. Here's a significant difference between worldviews, our modern kind of secular culture and Christian theology. And I'm just kind of working through this. I'm, this is, I don't know if it's always true, but this is kind of what I was thinking about. In our modern culture, our mind, our heart, our action, what we think, what we feel, what we do is what defines and informs who I am, my identity. That's kind of the the paradigm for our modern culture. But Christian theology says something different. Who I am, my identity in Jesus Christ, is actually what defines, informs, and gives shapes to my mind, heart, action, what I think, what I feel, and what I do. Do you notice the difference? And so as we think about who am I becoming and maturation, it all begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ and every week we try to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the word we need to hear. Amen? The gospel, new life in Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ, in Christ we've been given a new identity. Paul begins chapter 3 by laying out this simple truth, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel. The reality and truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world, took on human flesh, willingly laid down his life out of love for us to cover the sin of the world. And he rose again from the grave, defeating that sin, defeating death. This is the gospel. This is the good news that that Emma and that Hannah stood up before us and declared, I believe this truth. And I love Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, mind. This is the gospel. And, friends, this is the same good news, the same gospel that assures us of life with Christ for all eternity. And we hold on to that hope, particularly in certain seasons of our life, that we have life in Christ both now and for all eternity, that there is a life to come. This is the good, good news of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing as Nate said, it's not the end of the journey. Right, this, this, this profession, this is not the end of the journey. Profession of faith is not the finish line. It's big, it's important. We celebrate with you. Yeah, we, we clap our hands and we rejoice because it's huge. But believing and receiving the grace of the gospel is the beginning. It puts us on a lifelong journey of formation. Our vision statement is to see everyone being, uh, being found in the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus. Being made new, as Paul says here. Here's the implication of this gospel. We receive a new identity in Jesus Christ. Paul in verses nine through 11 give us some language, right? Of, of the old self and the new self. You've taken off your old self. When we receive Jesus Christ, it's finished, it's complete. We've received a new identity. The old is gone, the new is here. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The old self, we're in the New Testament, earthly nature, the flesh, the body, ruled by sin, it's been put to death in Christ's death. The old self has been crucified, has been put to death with Christ Jesus, and then the new self is raised to life. We've received a new self. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is our true identity. And we're being formed and being reminded that our true identity is as image bearers of the creator God, verse 10. And when we do baptism, right, in in some ways with profession of faith, I want to get like a squirt gun and like, and like, you know remind us all that you've been baptized and particularly with with immersion baptism what's happening there right we're immersed we, we die with Christ and then we raise up from the water and we're raised to new life there's something powerful about that remembrance of who we are in Jesus Christ Jesus Christ has given us a new identity and what Paul picks up here on verse 11 is that that new identity redefines all other identity categories that we might carry or hold. in Christ we've been given a new identity this is who we are this is who we are always created and intended to be a child of God as we sang in that song this morning so Paul writes in verse 11 because we've received this new identity here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave or free but Christ is all and is in all now we're not going to unpack all of what those things mean but just know this that our identity is And all other other identities, whether it's found in ethnicity, flesh, societal standing, nationality, economics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all other ways you might be identified in our culture come second to your identity that you've received in Jesus Christ. This new identity in Jesus Christ informs all the others. Our identity in Christ is the truest, most important thing about you, that you are a child of God, that you are beloved by the creator God. This is who you are. And for profession of faith, that is what you've declared this morning. And now comes the lifelong journey of living into this identity, living into who you already are in Jesus Christ, who you were created to be. And again, drawing back on what Pastor Bill talked about two, year, two, two years, <laughs> two weeks ago agency, right? This is God's work, this is the Spirit's work, and yet we cooperate with the Spirit's work in our lives. I was trying to think of a, 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 a way to kind of help us wrap our minds around this, like living into who you are. This kind of falls apart pretty quickly, but, but I know some of you are into sports, right? So it's kind of like making the volleyball team or making the basketball team, right? You make the team, you're on the team. And now what comes? The practice, the hard work, the coaching, the, the work of the coach, and again, this kind of falls apart, but you're, you're on the, we're on the team, we're on the team. You're in the family of God. And now comes the cooperating with the Spirit's work in our lives. And let's talk about that this morning. Colossians 3, Paul describes this work as, as changing clothes. Put off the old self, put on the new. And he kind of does so in a dramatic way. What does it look like to put off the old self? He writes this in verse 5. Put to death. Put to death the old self. He, jump, he jumps right in. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death what belongs to the earthly nature. Paul is referring to the sin nature, our old self, our old identity. Notice the language is incredibly strong. That is a strong word, put to death. The earthly nature, these sinful, you gotta put it to death because if we don't, those things lead to our death and destruction. Let's talk about the old self. What is the old self? The old self is the self that's fueled by lies and fear that, that produce Self-service, self-love, self-consume, preservation, achievement, and fulfillment. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the idolatry of self. Christ is Lord versus self is Lord. This old nature is wired to look out only for the self. And the old self is fueled by lies. And those lies tell us that it's up to us to bring fulfillment and security, right? And then those lies are stoked by fear. And the fear of this world that says that that there's scarcity in this world and there's only a limited pool of resources and so I have to fight for my share of those resources. Survival of the fittest, right? This causes the old self to operate under this paradigm of survival of the fittest that that seeks with all its might to self-preserve, self-protect, self-fulfill. That's the the life guided by the old self. Paul goes on to, to tell us where this leads us. He kind of focuses on two things. First thing is disordered desires. So this pattern of old, the old self leads to disordered desires and harmful behavior. Let's talk about disordered desires. By the way, again, context. We're reading someone else's mail. And so Paul is gonna address things that are pertinent to the Colossian church. Um, but I think you're gonna find some parallels to our time as well. Let's talk about disordered desires. Verse five, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He goes on to list some things. Sexual immorality, impurity, impurity lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Notice that these are all about our desires, about our heart, what our heart longs for. And notice something about the heart. The heart is deceptive. The heart is deceptive. Our desires deceive us. Our heart longs for things that are not good for us. Quick example, lighthearted example, okay? Last weekend I had one of the best briskets I've ever had in my entire life incredibly tasty. And uh, my daughter reminded me, what are, what are the best tasting pieces of the brisket? Those fatty end pieces. Oh, amen, anyone? Some of you are like, you're nuts. Anyway, so my, my desire, my heart, my appetite is like, you know what, I want to eat that kind of brisket every day of the week, this whole week. And I want to eat like a pound and a half of it every day. But what's telling me no? My cholesterol numbers, right? They're saying, no, 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 stay away from that. It's not good for me. Or other desires, like I have this desire, like I'd, I'd love to buy a new guitar. I'd love to spend $4,000 on a guitar. Who's telling me no, 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 no? Yvonne, yeah, yeah, Yvonne's telling me that. In <laughs> our house payment, you know, we're in that, we're in that season, right? Notice, notice in, our, in our passage, a lot of the, the examples revolve around sex. There's a reason. Because sex is a, is a powerful desire of the heart. But the old self, the sin nature, craves for what brings pleasure in the present with little regard for future consequence. Rarely, maybe never, do our sexual impulses stop us and bring us to a point of reason. And thinking, hmm, I wonder how this is going to impact my relationships and my life in the future. It's not how it works, right? The drive, the desire takes over. Which is why God gives us this gift of a lifelong covenant we call marriage, right? right? Because this lifelong covenant, this, this marriage is, is the only thing, the only container, the only vessel strong enough to contain, that's safe enough to contain this powerful force of sexual desires. It's not some arbitrary law. This wisdom in God's design for life. Our desires are powerful. And they, and they can become idolatrous. And I don't know about you, but I, I read this letter that's written 2,000 years ago, but I can't help but think about our context today and see the parallels in our, in our current cultural moment. Because our desires and our culture have become idols. And it's not just sex. It's this desire for money, greed, that's mentioned in here. It's the lust for power and maintaining power. And when those become ultimate, oh, man. Oh, man. It leads to destructive forces within us. Our desires and our heart is deceptive. Next, Paul zeroes in on on, on where these disordered desires lead us. Because the condition of the heart, when the heart is disordered, it leads to destructive behavior. It leads to destructive speech, really, is what Paul's zeroing in here on verse 8. Harmful words and deeds, he goes on. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Notice these are all destructive and harmful actions, but really around speech and what we say. Now Again, here, this one I don't think requires too much exegesis. You know, pastors, we like to sound smart, so we say Greek words like exegesis. It just means interpretation. Like it doesn't require any extra interpretation or explanation. The sinful nature, the selfish nature, again, operating from lies and fear, what does that produce in us? Anger, rage, malice, jealousy within our hearts. And the resulting speech and behavior is absolutely destructive. Notice what's listed, slander, filthy language, lies and all of those things, they destroy people's reputation and even worse, destroy people's lives. And oftentimes, we're we're motivated by an attempt to protect ourselves or get ahead in life at the expense of others when we operate in these behaviors, right? Again, I I don't know about you, but I I could not help but notice the, the parallels to today, right? Startling. Anger. Rage. Contempt. Sound familiar? The contempt we have for one another in our country and our world is is disturbing. And there's a lot feeding our rage. And and I understand that that anger can be justified, it can even be righteous, but but so much of what we see and the response and how we're dealing with anger and rage, it's it's gotten so nasty, slanderous, hurtful, filth. Words that attempt to destroy people, destroy uh, relationships. Words that pit people as enemies and the other and distance ourselves. How do, we, how do we reach people if they become an enemy? And friends, it's easy to fall into this trap and therefore we need to actively fight against it. And, and I say that not because I'm standing far above it. No, I, I'm guilty of this as well. I, and and to be honest, like one of the hardest things has been being a parent. I mean, I, I I've, I've probably said this before, but I thought I was a pretty patient guy, you know. Like I thought I could you know let things kind of breeze off my shoulder. and then I had kids, you know. It's because I love them, and I want what's best for them. And so when they're fighting with each other, man, it drives me off the wall. And I have to confess that so often I, I respond out of my anger. And, I, and, and if you were driving past our house, you might hear me yell. Not a sermon. Something else. Right? I, I've found myself responding uh, just just the other, the other week. I, you know, Bryson said something and I thought he was talking back. He wasn't. And I go up behind him and, and just to give him a little reminder, I, I give him a little tug on the back of his hair. Now you would have thought I just, you know, did something way worse. He just... And my, my four-year-old son says to me, Dad, just because, just because something, someone does something you don't like, you don't, you don't just hurt them. I'm like, oh. I'm sorry, bud. So here I'm apologizing. I reacted out of anger, right? Doesn't mean he doesn't need discipline, but anger. The, the old self has been put to death. We've been raised in Christ. We have received a new identity. Let's talk about that new identity. We've been raised with Christ. We're a new creation. This ongoing work of participating with the Holy Spirit, putting to death the old nature, clothing ourselves with who we are in Christ, put on the new self. Here we just, we just gotta jump in. We gotta contrast the old self with the new self. Old self is fueled by lies and fear and service of self. The, the new self is grounded in truth and love of who we are who we are called to be in Christ, and it leads us to serve others' self-giving love. Grounded in this truth, truth that Paul reminds us right here in verse 12, the truth of who we are in Christ is God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved. That is who you are. That is who you are. And when we're grounded in truth, when we're grounded in love, that allows us the Spirit to work in our lives to live out virtues, the fruit of the Spirit to live in character. Let's talk about some of those things. The reordered heart. Instead of disordered desires, right, the the old self, the sinful self, leads to disordered desires, the spirit in our lives reorders our heart and our desires. Paul gives some example of what that looks like. Clothe yourselves with, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, Patience. The fruit that grows from this new self, what we call the fruit of the spirit, right? Paul gives a different list in Galatians. This is just a different list of the same kind of thing. Fruit of the spirit. The source of fruit is the the vine, as we learned last week. We are engrafted in Christ. We are the branches. He is the vine. And and because we are engrafted in Jesus Christ, that fruit can grow in our lives. Now we then nurture that fruit in our lives. And so we participate with the Spirit to nurture, to clothe ourselves with things that are of God, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience in our hearts. Notice these virtues are in the opposite posture and demeanor of the vices in verse 8. Those, are descri- those would describe selfishness. These are selflessness. These virtues create a posture of openness and hospitality and love toward others versus a closed-off posture that's fighting for what's limited in our lives. Again, I couldn't help but think about our world today. Oh, how our world needs people transformed by the gospel, living with post- a posture of compassion and love, a reordered heart, heart in Christ. Imagine with me for a moment If when our world thought about the church of Jesus Christ, when our world thought about those who who profess their love in Jesus Christ, if our world said, man, those Christians and those churches are so filled with compassion and humility and love. A reordered heart. See, when our identity reorders our hearts and we live with this posture of humility and love, it leads to words and deeds that don't bring harm, like the old self, but bring healing. Let's talk about healing words and deeds. Notice this list kind of contrasts the other. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love. Again, Paul is not giving an exhaustive list of actions. This is not the complete guide to the Christian life, but he's giving some key ones that are big and they take seriously the ongoing, lifelong journey of transformation. Because when we do life together in community, are we gonna hurt one another? Absolutely. Because we're all on this journey. We're gonna make mistakes. I'm gonna say things that are gonna offend you. I promise you that. Talk to me about it. Let's work through it. Let's forgive one another. Let's bear one another. Let's have a capacity that can hold one another's differences. It requires a community that's generous and patient, forbearance and forgiveness. Again, opposite of what we read in verse eight. Again, imagine with me for a moment, Christian communities and churches, if we embrace this way of doing life together, what does our world need right now? Jesus, right? Of course. But while the broader culture is shaming and condemning and writing people off who break the unwritten or written rules of the culture or or blaspheme the current ideologies, what if the church was a place where you could make a mistake and be reconciled? What if the church, to contrast that, was a place where you could disagree about some of these things? Where you could listen, where you could listen in a way that seeks to understand Where people truly bear with one another and have a capacity in our hearts for one another? What if the church was where people saw radical wrestling with our differences, forgiving one another, but but were one because of the thing we hold in common, which is the gospel, this identity in Jesus Christ? What if? Dream with me. (laughs) What does the world need? A new narrative. We've said a lot. I guess I've said a lot. Let's try to put some of this together. You see, there's this kind of unique par- paradox. We've, we've been raised, we've been, we've been given this new identity in Jesus Christ. That is who we are. We are in Christ. There's nothing that can take that away. But this identity begins to define and inform. And it's God's work. It's the Spirit's work. But then it's our participation. We cooperate with the Spirit's work. And in that, it defines and forms sh- and gives shape to our mind, our heart, our actions, what we think, what we feel, what, how we live, what we believe, right? And it's all it's all for the purpose of transforming us into the truest version of ourselves this new identity as a child of God. And guess what? We have an example. Jesus Christ. Because he lived this life. If we read the gospels, right? That's the lens through which we interpret all of Scripture. We read the Gospel. We we interpret all of the Word through Jesus Christ. And he lived this way. He made space for people. He was patient. He was compassionate. He was kind. And he was humble. He was gentle. And he was loving. And before you say, before you dare say that that's the easy way out, let me tell you where that led my my Savior Jesus Christ. Led him to the cross. Led him to his own death. Because it's not the easy way. It's the far more courageous way to love and to live with this kind of posture. But it requires us to allow Christ to be the center of gravity in our lives and the center of gravity in our community here at Fusion and Heart more broadly. We must let Christ, we must let Christ rule our hearts, dwell in our minds, and guide our every word, thought, and action, both individually and as a community. We must let Christ. Paul beautifully weaves this together in the final three verses of our passage to let Christ. Let me read it. Listen. Let Christ, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message, or it's really the word of Christ, dwell among you richly teach you and admonish one another like form your mind and your thoughts with all wisdom through psalms hymns and songs from the spirit singing to god with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do in what you say word or deed do it all in the name of the lord jesus christ giving thanks to god the father through him our hearts being ruled by the peace of Christ. Our minds and our thoughts, both individually and as a community, saturated with the word of God through this practice of worship and our actions. May all that we do, may we do it in the name of our Lord, which means Master, Jesus. Friends, here's the thing. We live in a culture obsessed with doing and accomplishment and I don't want to diminish that because what we do is important. What we, those are significant, right? Some of you are going to graduate, you going to have all these accolades. That's great. We want to praise God for that. But I strongly believe that God is also, maybe, maybe even more so, concerned with the person you are becoming and not just the things you're achieving or doing. We should be asking ourselves, what kind of person am I becoming? Am I being formed more into the likeness of Jesus Christ and what we read in the gospels or am I being more and more formed in the likeness of something or someone else So seniors here's a little here's a little trick you can play Next time someone asks you what comes next what comes next after graduation what are your plans for next year could say this. Well, I'm hoping in the next year to become more like Jesus in this next chapter of my life. I'm hoping to grow in compassion, patience, love, kindness, and humility. And then you can say, and I'll probably do that at Hope College or GVSU or in the workforce. Right? Who are we becoming? We becoming who we are created to be in Jesus Christ. May we ponder that in our hearts. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word that speaks in different contexts from the other side of the world, from a different millennium. And yet, Lord, words that continue to speak truth. Words that continue to to cut to the heart. Continue to challenge us where where in our lives we've we've gotten off track as Pastor Darrell said last week. But Lord, these are a word of of grace. And so Lord, if if the Spirit is, is convicting us this morning in how we're living or carrying ourselves, Lord, may we hear it in... May we hear it from the gracious lips of our Lord Jesus who knew we'd mess up and gave his life so that we might live for him. May we hear that gracious word of our Lord Jesus Christ and be challenged and committed and convicted to live a life of, of gratitude for what we've received. Holy Spirit, do that work in our lives. May we cooperate with your work so that you would be forming us more and more into the likeness of of Jesus Christ, who is indeed our Lord, our Master, and our Savior, the one who promises and gives us life both now and forevermore. We pray all these things in his name.
0: Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
3: just saying, is the posture of those last three verses. Let Christ. It's a posture of submission. Lord, take my life. Take my lips. Take my love. Take my my whole life in being and do with me and let me participate. Let me cooperate. This is our posture. And as Pastor Dale reminded us last week, this is how we receive a blessing. Eyes up. Head raised, hands open to receive this blessing from our Lord. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. In God's people say, Amen. "Amen." Let's enjoy some donuts. Let's encourage these uh, ha- these young people, Hannah and Emma, and uh, celebrate with them.